Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Wow, yeah. Great morning, right? The songs were awesome. I will defer. The British accent is superior. Uh, I, I decide there's no sense in arguing against reality. That's all I can say. There was something that I was thinking. I was thinking, oh, yeah, before I do that, I, I have a little thing to, to talk about. People here um, have served for many years. I got several weeks in a row I'm going to have to do what I call a little bit of housekeeping or, uh, you know, talking, leading, kind of coaching us a little bit, encouraging what we've done right and uh, exhorting us to do uh, right what we're not doing right or whatever it might happen to be, right? So today I want to talk a little bit about outreach. And um, there's a person in the room this morning. I'm not, I don't know. I'm going to walk over there and talk. So there's a lady named June Clinton. She's been here like a while. And um, for 10 years, since 2009... Till now, just recently, she has been making those delicious cookies that we have handed out to visitors for 10 years. 839 boxes, but who's counting? Well, she's not counting anymore because she has to stop doing it. Uh, Her shift is over for that, and uh, we want to give her some space, and we just want to say thank you for what you've done and give you a little token of our appreciation. I'm going to give you a hug. So for two two weeks or three weeks, people have been bragging on her, and uh, I said, keep your shirt on, we'll get to this, and sure enough, we did, and I thought it's a good day to mention just why we're here. We talked about the wonderful access we have to God Almighty. And we still don't fully grasp how huge that is. But the gift of the gospel that we have received, we want to share with other people. That's why God left the church here. If our whole business was just to come to know him, the minute you got saved, you'd have gone, poop. You know what I mean? Poop. That's a theological term for... You'd have been translated immediately, but he's left us here because we're his light and salt and witness in the world. Everybody get that? Amen? Okay, so we want to make our assembly as friendly, as welcoming as possible. And cookies were a great idea, and that worked. And, uh, we've get, and some, of, some of those cookies were so popular, they got stolen. Yeah. <laughs> May the Lord forgive their sins. And uh, I know that uh, Mike Hopper was always talking about trying to get his hands on something. So I didn't say he stole any. I didn't say that. So just um, maybe you have some ideas of how we can be friendly, how we can. And I want to talk about that for just a minute, if I could. Just a few points. A while back, we had a Pray for One sticker and T-shirt, and we're going to revive that and press into that a little bit, especially getting into the new year. But getting more of an outer view versus being totally comfortable with what we're used to, right? We're all used to our comfort zones, and sometimes we have to open them up a little bit. And I'm not asking you to be totally uncomfortable when you come on Sunday morning, but just some ideas I want to throw out. 
uh, if I may, uh, that we can do that would help, especially when, like last week, uh, I understand the count was, we were over 200 people in the room. How did this happen? But anyway, uh, people are coming, and we want to make sure that they feel welcomed and encouraged and have places. So just a few things that we can do to help. If you have any ideas, kind of like June's, maybe, maybe new ideas, we're thinking about little gift bags and way to uh, welcome people, make sure they remember that they were here. If there's a name on the pen, then they'll know what church they went to so they won't forget and uh, have them come back, what have you. If you want to be part of helping and part of the welcoming team, the hospitality team, you can talk to Pastor Tim, Don Nauta. Where are you, Don? He felt unwelcome and he left already. <laughs> and Angela Vitulis, you're here, I know you are. Angela, why don't you stand up just so everybody knows who you are. Angela Vitulis, Tim Strait. Talk to them if you'd like to be part of the team because we need help moving into the future. Just a couple of quick things. We've talked with our staff about it. I've talked with all the, um, and by the way, people who are on duty as elders, deacons, deaconesses, our FNF team, met with them this last week. We've got some great servants in this church. We really do. You really have some good people watching out for the ministry's effectiveness. And so I've mentioned at our council meeting that anyone who holds an office like that is on the welcoming committee. Listen to the enthusiasm, <laughs> which means take the extra energy to make people who come in and have no idea where their kids are going or where the bathrooms are. Hopefully those ones are pretty obvious and those are really nice ones, but they can find their way around the building. I give you permission to do that. Isn't that nice? I just made you all important. We should all be uh, open to that because we want to invite people into the kingdom. And they have to start somewhere. They have to start being exposed to the good news and the worshiping body of Christ. So when, uh, when there's seating tightness, can I encourage some of you, unless you have a severe phobia and have to sit on the end, you could move in and let people... You know, when you see somebody looking for a seat... My wife and I'll get up and say, come on, take, take, you know, and I've had to sit in the front row. I don't like sitting in the front row. Yeah, right. That's the point. That's the whole point. So uh, risk it a little bit. Parking. If you're on the regular team, we've been talking, the worship team and all, park out. So people have spaces right nearby so they can get in the door. I park over in front of my office. Never mind. And um, I do. So welcome people through those roadblocks. And let me just make one more thing. Uh, this, this is not that complicated. We are a friendly church. People say when they come and visit, we're friendly. Let me push that just one more step. People aren't looking just for a friendly church. They're looking for a church where they can make friends. And that takes a little energy because I might have to invite them over or interact with them, meet them for coffee or whatever, Feel free to take that initiative, okay? So I'm just encouraging more of us to be hand, all hands on deck. Does that make sense? So June, thanks for setting us in the right direction this morning. Appreciate that. And since um, both Mike and Derek preached my sermon, I'm going to close in prayer now. <laughs> I'm kidding.
You love me. I don't know about her. I had an administrative pastor up in Binghamton. He used to go like this. <laughs> so, all right. If you have a Bible, your own, or if you want to use the black Bible in the chair in front of you, turn to 1198, 1198, chapter 4 of Hebrews, the text that we saw what part of it this morning, a minute ago, we saw part of it, and we're going to uh, read this together, and I'm not putting these verses on screen. I would like you to just leave it open in front of you so I can reference these short three verses, if you wouldn't mind, okay? So, chapter 4, the book of Hebrews, it's already been mentioned, we've been in a series a book written to a bunch of Hebrew Jewish converts who are kind of seminarians, you know, they're, they're rabbinic students. And they have come to know that Jesus is their Messiah and persecution now is coming their way. It had already happened to the Christian church as a whole in Rome, but now suddenly they're facing it and they're being tempted to say, well, maybe he really isn't the man. Maybe we don't really need to stand. And that's why you have these exhortations over and over again like this, starting in verse 14. Last week, we looked at the word of God being active and sharper and uh, piercing and getting down inside and that everything is exposed to God. And I challenged us at the end of last Sunday, you have two ways to deal with what's broken in your life. You can deal with it now or you can wait for the VCR playback in front of everybody. Revival, Gesundheit, revival is bringing your sins to judgment before the judgment. Why wait? I'd rather get cleaned up now and uh, have a clear conscience and enjoy God, enjoy the access that this is all about, that this whole passage is talking about. That was last week. So this week, after really coming on strong, I thought I'd make nice. <laughs> kind of encourage us with mercy and grace. Doesn't that sound good? Amen. Depending on what kind of week you've had, mercy and grace would feel pretty good this morning, right? So, here we are, verse 14 through 16. Follow along as I read it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. There's the exhortation. That's why we read the Apostles' Creed this morning. This is what we believe. When our government decides that's against the law, what are you going to do? Hold to our confession. We believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, right? The Savior. We believe it. There is no other. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. A high priest... One who has been tempted but without sin. Why? Because just above it says Jesus, that's the man part, the son of who? God. He's God and man, a mystery. Can't fully grasp it, but we know it to be true. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Therefore, 
Let us draw near with confidence. This is our exhortation and encouragement today. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And all of God's people said, Amen. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. We have been worshiping you today because of the amazing name of Jesus. And I mean, it's become so common in history now. Uh, We don't always fully appreciate the very meaning of his name, like Joshua and Jesus, Savior. So today, Lord, we just want to focus on that reality that you have made a way for us who are corrupt... to to approach the incorruptible. Help us understand you a little better. Help us understand ourselves a little better. And help us understand the help that's available for us a little better. We pray for your assistance today. I pray for your help, Lord, for the Holy Spirit's assistance in quickening your gift and bringing to mind what is most important and edifying your children as your spirit drops truths down into those needy places that we have. Help us in the great name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Well, the title today is Get the Picture. And, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so we're going to look at some pictures which the scripture is talking about. But let me begin by backing up and speaking of this holding to our confession by showing you a a handsome man from the 1400s. I know you're all jealous of his beard. Uh, All the men are. On this date, 1415, I'm reading from, uh, uh, this might be Wikipedia, I can't remember. This is in... Czechoslovakia, Jan Hus, that's who this is, John Hus, otherwise known as, was condemned as a heretic because he believed that we have a right to access to God personally rather than through religious paraphernalia. He had beliefs like many of the pre-reformers. You know, the Reformation kicked in in the 1500s. Luther was the big name. Luther fed off of some of John Hus's writings. And they also believed back then that we should be able, can you imagine, to read the Bible in our own language so that we might understand it. Now you think, oh my, but back then, this was a no-no, so much so that John Huss was burned alive at the stake. And the story goes, and I think it's well documented, that John Huss died singing. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of the Virgin Mary, have mercy on me. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. How did they do it? He knew how to draw near. Now, most of our tensions and crises in our lives are not that severe. 
And, you know, sometimes we as believers think, well, this little fact that I don't know how I'm going to pay for this penalty from the IRS doesn't matter to God, but it does. And I can draw near to find grace in my time of need, whatever it might happen to be. He welcomes us in. Isn't it fascinating? In fact, that was, a, that was a revelation for many new converts that God actually cared about the little dinky details more than, uh, more than you think. So I looked at John Huss. I thought of him, especially in the light of two weeks ago, we prayed for the persecuted church. That came to mind immediately. Somehow, they made it their habit to press in to the throne room and find grace in time of need so that they could stand. And we need the same thing. So I want to say that out of this text, if you keep the, the passage open, we're going to reference what's in here, and we want to look at pictures, all right? We want to look at some pictures t- today. First, if you're a fill-in person and you have your note paper and you want to fill it in, I'm going to give you all the answers straight up, okay? Because otherwise I'll forget. I just know I will. One, picture the barrier. You have to picture the barrier. Second, what was second? Picture the breakthrough. And finally, picture the benefit. So those are your three words. The barrier, the breakthrough, and the benefit. Let me show you something out of the Old Testament, if I could, a passage of Scripture. And, and uh, as we read this, the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron he shall not enter at any time into the holy place. In other words, you don't just come traipsing in here. By the way, Aaron, just so you're aware, we can stop there, Aaron was the high priest. And through his family line, the Jewish priesthood was sustained. Priests are go-betweens, right? Some of us come out of background like that. You get what I'm saying? If you get in trouble, what do you do? You go visit the priest, you confess. And by the way, evangelicals know that that's not required. However, evangelicals went a little too far by throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We don't think we ever need to confess anything to anybody. You know, it's none of your stinking business after all, Dennis. So, but there, are t- <laughs> but there are times I need my brother or sister to hear my confession so that I know your sins are forgiven. Okay? It's not mandatory, but there are times I need grace. The word of Christ, as Bonhoeffer said, is stronger in my brother than it is in me at the moment. Right? So we've kind of tossed a baby out with the bathwater sometimes. But here's the point. A priest is a go-between. Think about a go-between. Between God and man. Between man and... No, that was not a trick question. God. Both directions. You know, he brings God's response, brings man's sacrifice, man's penance, man's sin issues to the God that they're trying to serve. There's priests in all kinds of religious systems. And then the response back, okay, you're going to have good luck. You're going to get blessed. You're going to do this, whatever. In this case, forgiveness and declaration of forgiveness. A go-between. So when Aaron is the go-between for the children of Israel, he doesn't just walk in. Oh, I'm, I'm the priest. I have the right to walk right in. Reminds me of an old song, walk right in, set right down. Well, anyway. This is why I'm going to be in trouble today. That's why I told you all the answers up front, because I'm going to be gone. 
before the mercy seat. He should not walk in any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he... For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. You remember when the Spirit came down on the, on the tabernacle? You read the Old Testament with me when we went through the daily Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. When the glory came down on the tabernacle, the priest couldn't even go near. Even outside, they, could, they had to stay out. I'm going to appear over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And it goes on. Then he shall slaughter, there's a few other verses in between. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for who? All the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. He'll sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. But did you catch it? He doesn't, he doesn't make up the rules. He doesn't just do what he wants. Once a year... The people have their sins atoned for in mass. So there's some pictures we need. We need to understand about entrance. I remember one time I was with my family. I was 16 years old. I went with my mom and stepdad to the Bahamas. And in the Bahamas, there's an island. Um, can't remember the island, but it's where the, the name of it. Paradise Island. There's a casino. Nassau, thank you. Nassau, the casino. And um, I'm wandering in there in, you know, my, I don't want to tell people sins, but my mother and stepdad were in gambling. And, uh, and I'm in the foyer, and there's all these slot machines. And I go, hey, away. And I had some cash, and boop, boop, boom, you know. And I had this very stern-looking, very dressed-up gentleman come over to me. Monsieur? Monsieur? Monsieur, how old are you? Said, I'm 16. There's a $5,000 fine and imprisonment if you are gambling. Okay, I'm gone. You didn't have to tell me twice. I don't belong in here. You don't belong in there either. So let me show you some pictures, okay, because they help. This is a remake in in the Middle East of what the tabernacle would have looked like when the children of Israel were traveling. Now, by the way, I want to point out, this is not the real thing. They didn't have cameras when the real thing happened. And, but, but even if they did, I know this isn't real, because see, that's an electrical box right there. So I know, I know they didn't have electric. But that's the layout. You can get the idea. There's the, um, well, let me use, I brought this on purpose, so everybody... My wife said to me, some people may, if you're new as a believer, you maybe have not gotten to this stuff in the Old Testament. It gets tedious a little bit, so let me help you out. This is the tent of meeting. This is the courtyard around about. This is the place where sacrifices were burned. This is a labor for washing, cleaning the sacrifice, laying it on the altar, burning it before God. Take the blood of that sacrifice, go in... And we'll show you where in just a minute. Inside that tent, there's a holy place, and then there's the back room, which is called the Holy of Holies. Guess what's in the back room? That's it. Let's look at the ark. That's our logo from this whole series, right? There's a number of ideas about what does it look like. We don't know exactly, really. 
But let's see, here's a sample. I like that one. There's another one, an artistic one. A couple of these from Nat, Nat Geo and uh, Pinterest or something. There's another one. That's pretty cool. I like that. But if you really know history, you know that it looked like this. There it is. <laughs> now we're talking. So this is the true ark. And... Um, and right there, under those wings, the picture of angels looking down on this place of mercy is called the mercy seat. And that's where the blood of the sacrifice was placed so that the children of Israel's sins were forgiven. Everybody follow me so far? Okay, so that's a great picture, a visual. And the mercy seat... The spirit, would, the spirit of God would hang out. God would somehow manifest in that spot. We're going to see some very interesting things, but anyway, I, I, I like that picture. It's kind of. Yes, I am going to use another 80s video clip. <laughs> but you have to wait for it. Okay. So that's the picture of the barrier. You don't just walk into that back room, the priest could go into the outer holy place and set the lamp, and set the showbread, and offer incense on the altar of incense in front of that curtain, the veil that was torn in half. They'd offer incense as a picture of prayer going up to God. The lamps were very specific, mysterious meaning, mainly that you can't see anything in a dark room without a light. So that's why they had it. And uh, on the other side, the table of showbread, all acts of worship, all symbols, all pictures of something to come. The point I'm making, there was all this drama for a reason. In fact, let me read the reason for you. It'd be easier to tell you this verse first, and then I'll go back and read from John Stott. The next verse says this. Those things served as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, make sure, see, make sure that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Why? Because it all means something. This is not just caprice. Just didn't make it up. Oh, this will be fun. We'll make a little tent. No, it's all making a point. It's illustrating how God is holy and unapproachable. Understanding our sin problem and how it makes us so different from him, getting in touch with our depravity, I think, is one of the best things you can do as a Christian. Here's the picture in the scripture uh, from uh, the, the tabernacle, the layout. You saw the picture that we showed that was not real, but here is the outer. You come in from outside. The camp of Israel is camped all around. They camped all around the tabernacle. The altar was where the sacrifice was made. The blood was taken through the entrance, through this holy place. See, there's the lampstand. There's the showbread. There's the altar of incense. And once a year... The priest got to go all the way from the altar with the blood through the veil and put it on the mercy seat. It's a distance. Now, you have your Bible open still? 
since we have a great high priest who has passed through, passed through the heavens. It's a picture of passing through the great distance from fallen man on a planet that's corrupt into the heaven of heavens. It doesn't mean going through outer space per se. Okay, it's the language of the Bible is the heavens, that there's up and then there's really up, which could be right here, by the way, because it's another dimension. You've got to see more Star Trek and stuff. You, know, you get, get the fact that it's another dimension. The distance between God and his holiness and us creates an incredible barrier. You need to see the barrier. John Stott talking about the problem of forgiveness in a chapter in his book, by the way, I've recommended it multiple times, The Cross of Christ. It's not light reading, by the way, but it is very scriptural and clear and solid reading. The problem of forgiveness. There are reactions that God has, just like we do, to certain things. Here's the description of the distance between God and man. One, he's described as lofty, high, height, can't reach him. Two, the distance, he's so far, as when he separates your sins from you, as the east is from the west, it's unending. It's distance, you can't reach it. He's described as light. We can't approach him. He dwells in inapproachable light. Ever try to look at the sun? Don't. They just had mercury go by. You can't look at it. Can't do it. You'll be blinded. We shrink back. Fire. Anybody ever have a fire? You know, fireplace, whatever. Fire. You can only take so much. Been up against intense heat. You You understand once you experience that why people jump to their death out of a burning building. Can't take it. The heat is unapproachable. Here's one you're not going to like. Vomiting. Remember when we read from Psalm 95, I loathe that generation? That's the language. You ever eat something that... We just went into the grocery store the other day. There was a whole tray of Brussels sprouts. I got to be careful here. All I had to do was look at him. I was having a gag reflex. <laughs> I'm having it now just thinking about it. There's something about the flavor. Oh, anyway. It has nothing to do with whether I like or want to like or want to eat Brussels sprouts. It's if it goes in my mouth, I'm going to puke. And it's the same thing. That's what sin does to God. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's what sin does. Well, what kind of a God is that? We prayed this morning in pre-worship time. We have to stop remaking God in our own image. Just because we don't think that's fair and nice or whatever we think. God is God. We're his creation. We've got to get the order right. There's a distance and there's a repulsion because of our sin that makes this incredible barrier. Everybody following what I'm trying to say here? It's something you can spend your whole life trying to grasp. There's a shallow... I'm going to read this portion, and I'm, I'm a little guilty here, so I might have to do some confessing with all of you. There is much shallowness and levity among us. That's where I'm guilty. 
Sometimes at prayer meeting, I've made jokes, and thanks, thank God, God does have a sense of humor. I'm not trying to belabor guilt on us. But what I am trying to emphasize is prophets and psalmists would probably say of us that there's no fear of God before their eyes. In public worship, our habit is to slouch or squat. We do not kneel nowadays, let alone prostrate ourselves in humility before God. Some of us do, though. In public worship, our habit is that way. It is more characteristic of us to clap our hands with joy than to blush with shame or tears. We saunter up to God to claim his patronage and friendship. It does not occur to us that he might send us away. Can you imagine? Does it, does it cross my mind that maybe the way I'm talking to you, Lord, is inappropriate? I'm not trying to dump guilt. I'm trying to help us understand who we're talking to. He's our dearest friend, but he's God. He's both. And somehow walking in that balance. You know, people say, well, what is it? Is it this or that? The answer in the Bible many times is yes. It's both. We need to hear the Apostle Paul's sobering words, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives in reverent fear. In other words, if we dare to call our judge our father, we must beware of presuming on him. In Dale's words, it is partly because sin does not provoke our own wrath that we do not believe that sin provokes the wrath of God. Okay, so, oh, there's so many good things I could read here. But I'm encouraging you, John Stott, the cross of Christ. Listen to this last comment. Only he who knows the greatness of wrath will be mastered by the greatness of mercy. Why we don't follow him and take that seriously, we don't understand. We don't get the distance. Okay, all of that was just for part one. Can you imagine the distance? But God has intervened on our behalf to rescue us, right? So I have notes here somewhere. I better find them because I don't know where I'm going next. Oh, here we go. That was scary. So did we look at the verse that said they serve as a shadow of the heavenly things, right? Make everything according to what you were shown on the mountain. So that also brings us to the power of the breakthrough. What was it necessary for God to do in order to rescue us as broken and sinful as we are, as much as it turns his stomach? His eyes are too pure to look upon sin, right? You you know verses like that. What does it mean? It means what it says. But he was able to by taking the payment on himself. One of the uh, favorite uh, groups that I like to read from are the Puritans. Uh, we, we have a bad taste about the word, you know, our, our teachers instructed wrongly many times about who the Puritans were. These uptight, very priggish people, you know, who burned witches at the stake who were obviously not really witches and all of this. And the Puritans themselves... Uh, rebuked all that nonsense. The, one, the ones who had their brains screwed in right, they were against all that. You understand? Did you know that? That's a little, that was free today. I didn't, no charge. Thank you. You're welcome. 
The Puritans wrote some great stuff. John Bunyan, does that name ring a bell? Pilgrim's Progress. Here's what he said. If he hides the sin, if God hides the sin, he lessens it. He is faulty. So he's not God anymore. He just sinned. If he hides sin and makes believe it didn't happen, he's a liar. He ceases to be God. He's faulty. If he leaves it still upon us, we die. He must then take our iniquity to himself, make it his own, and so deliver us. For thus having taken the sin upon himself, as lawfully he may, he lovingly he doth. It follows that we live if he lives. Who can desire more? He takes it on. Look, somebody's got to pay for this. Sin makes my stomach turn. Somebody has to bring satisfaction. Okay, I'll do it myself. Do you get it? I'll do it myself. I'll pay for it. So then, Stott adds, the cross of Christ is the event in which God makes known his holiness and his love simultaneously. In one event, in absolute manner, it may be summed up thus. It consists in the combination of inflexible righteousness, which he has to be. What's your biggest complaint with teachers and camp counselors and everything? They're unfair, right? They treat one person nicer than the other. God doesn't do that. Inflexible righteousness with its penalties and a combination with transcendent love. The cross of Christ is God's justice and love simultaneously. Justice, mercy, and have kissed each other, that language out of the Old Testament. That's what it is. In the cross of Christ. One last really harsh statement that Augustine, Calvin, I guess, wrote it, quoting Augustine. It says this, God in that marvelous and divine way loved us even when he hated us. The barrier is incredible. There's no way we can approach it. But in himself, Christ appeared as high priest. Let's see this next verse. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. Remember, those were pictures of what was to come. He entered, we just read it, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not this stuff on the ground but the heavenly one into the very throne room of God, which was represented by the Ark of the Covenant, into the very throne room of God, and made with, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through what? His own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. There's one more part, I think, isn't there? For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, but a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. I don't know how to make it any more clearly. It'd be like somebody holding you at the driveway here, some nutcase pulls you aside, puts a gun right to your head, I'm going to kill somebody today, and it's going to be you, and Tim Straight steps in and says, take me instead. Would he not be your hero for the rest of your life? Well, Jesus is my hero, and he's rescued us.
And by the way, all of what we just said, these pictures make sense. And the verse that I used to quote a lot, I'm going to quote it one more time, makes sense. Here it is. John 1.17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Where we get confused, we read that and say, Is that, are you telling me that the law wasn't true? Let me change the language a little bit because the meaning of the word truth there is reality. The law was true, but it was given through Moses. Grace and the reality behind the law were finally realized and brought to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. And he opened the doors for us to have access directly to our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. So I already read John Stott about he loved us even while he hated us. And again, I know our modern sensibilities just chafe at that. What kind of a God is he? That's the problem with 30 years of too much self-esteem training in schools, I think, frankly. We love ourselves way too much. So the last picture, you wanted to picture the benefit, uh, you wanted to picture the barrier and then the breakthrough that Jesus brought. Today, I want you to picture in closing the benefit. So draw near, that's what it tells us. Jesus Christ, the righteous, son of God, fully man, fully God, yet without sin. Verse 15, he was tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Can you imagine? I, I, I don't know about you. I struggle with that. I mean, why would he sympathize with my stupidity? I mean, think about it, my weird weaknesses. But he does. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. He's opened a way for us, reconciled us, really. Isn't that ever? How do I make contact with God? Can I, can I talk to God? Well, there's a great theological film that I want to share with you that speak to this very, very issue. You might remember. Oh, it's true. Oh, nice. Look at this. It's worthless. Ten dollars from a vendor in the street. But I take it and bury it in the sand for a thousand years. It becomes priceless, like the ark. Men will kill for it. Men like you and me. What about your boss, Der Fuhrer? I thought he was waiting to take possession. All in good time. When I'm finished with it. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. And it's within my reach. You want to talk to God? Let's go see him together. I've got nothing better to do. <laughs> you want to talk to God? <laughs> do you know what the ark is? It is a transmitter. A transmitter. A radio for talking to God. No wonder men would kill for it, right? Could really find that to be true? Is it true? Yeah. I have a verse to show you. It comes right out of Raiders of the... No, it came out of the Bible. <laughs> now, when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Testimony. 
from between the two cherubim, so he spoke to him. Put up that picture again. Can you imagine? Right there, under the wings, Moses goes into that dark room. It's dark, remember? It's covered with all of this porpoise skins. I don't think you can see through them. It's dark, and he goes in, and he hears, just like when he was called originally, Moses. I saw that movie, too, Moses. <laughs> Take your shoes off, right? What? It's creepy, isn't it, a little bit? That's the right response. He's speaking out from between the cherubim. It is. It's not, it doesn't have transistors, trust me. But it is a place where God spoke, man and God, speaking, if you will, figuratively, face to face. It's in my grasp, Balak says, you know, a, a transmitter for talking to God. My friends, it's in your grasp right now. And you have the spirit working within you to encourage you. I, I have just enough time to throw this in. Uh, I didn't know if I would, but I'm going to. The very next chapter goes on and says this, that God is compassionate in that. Rather than walking in there without the blood of the covenant and getting struck dead, which I would deserve, he extends compassion. Look at this next passage in Hebrews 5. It follows right after this. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to author both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Here's the point pastoral care. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <clears throat> but speaking of, <laughs> he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weaknesses. And because of it, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sin as for the people, so also for himself. The difference with Jesus is it already told us we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He did it without sin, but he's even better at this because he knows us. He was human. He knows us through and through, and he welcomes us. Come to me and find help when you need it. The veil was torn in two. We sang about that this morning. It was brought up multiple times, that picture of access. And then we go, yeah, I got, I, I got to watch you know, modern family first. <sighs> Whether the picture is, you know, like John Bunyan climbing up or John Huss facing it or just let me shine for Jesus at work or in my home or with my neighbor, or with my family, whatever it is, whatever the need of grace is, do you get the picture? You're invited to come boldly and lay hold of it. Grasp it. Make it your own because of the wonderful work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. I'm just going to ask you, have you entered in, in the first place? Have you made Jesus your Savior so that that access is... A, you don't need to go to the local priest. You don't even need to come to me. He's available. We can help you nail that down. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to just say, even if you're in the kingdom, many times we have been neglecting the means of grace 
that he has available. And it's obvious. You think you're pulling it off and nobody knows you're wrong. I'd rather get it squared away now before the playback. Maybe you'll decide to do that as well. So I'm going to close in prayer right now. I'm actually four minutes early for me. That's a miracle. This is a miracle morning right here. And uh, you have a question? Are you praising God? You pray? He's praising God. Thank you, Eli. <laughs> My buddy. Right? The altar's open. We'd be glad to pray with you. Let's stand together as we close. Today, God, I just say thank you, King Jesus, high priest, intercessor, who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high and actually prays for me right now. I don't get that. I'm not sure I totally believe that at times, but you do because it says so. And I'll stake my life on what it says rather than how I'm feeling. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've broken through this profound barrier to bring us the benefit of grace available in the here and now. How many times I've heard your children blame you when they have, and I've asked them, what are you doing? Have you been neglecting the means of grace? And they have, and then they still expect you to raise them up. Lord, get us on the right track. Let us lay hold of the grace that's available. Come boldly before the throne and get a hold of it. And it'll become obvious to the people around us because how can God Almighty, Jesus, by his spirit indwell us and not have some of it bleed out once in a while? Let it be so. Help your people. Put your angels around us. Continue to grow us here, God. Your spirit is striving with us. We bless you for that and ask you don't let up. In the great name of Jesus, we pray today and all of God's people said amen and amen. You're welcome to pray. Have a wonderful day and fellowship with your brethren.